much shock can you take? <laughs> to complete a double night of horror, a monstrous nightmare of terror, turn loose in a fight to the death. It could only be shown at midnight. Episode 256 of Monster Kid Radio with some slightly different music. Normally we do an instrumental surf piece, but this time around we're doing a song that's all about the guests that we have on this week's episode. The song is Calling Dr. Gang Green. It's from the album Themes from an Imaginary Spook Show from the Gino Royd Experience. You can find that online. I got the album on Amazon. Look it up on YouTube. It's out there and it's about Dr. Gang Green, who is our guest here on Monster Kid Radio. This week, we're going to talk about an anthology film, one of the, as far as I'm concerned, best anthology films from Amicus. We're talking about 1965's Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. This is a great film. It came out on Blu-ray last, was it this year or last? You know, it just came out on Blu-ray not too long ago. On both sides of the pond, it came out here in the U.S. as well as in the U.K. And Larry Underwood, Dr. Gangrene, and I watched different versions. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, talk a lot about the movie, and just basically catch up with the good old Doc. You know, we haven't talked to Dr. Gangrene in a little while, at least on the show. I talked to him a lot. He's one of my dearest friends. But on Monster Kid Radio, it's good to have him back. We're going to talk about this Amicus Anthology and a few other things, including something that he's got coming that's brand new. I'm pretty excited. And I think if you're a fan of Dr. Gangrene, if you're a fan of anthologies, you should be excited too. And we'll talk about all of that as well as Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, right after this. one of these murders and he's out of his mind. Didn't you get any sense out of him? No. He keeps raving about some sort of creature. Joe, <laughs> can you tell me what happened? <laughs> it was a horrible creature, sir. With huge eyes, sir. Oh, with the, with the wings. The wings, sir. Oh, let me alone. Let me alone. From this old house, some evil thing was spawned to bring terror to the surrounding countryside. What was Professor Maringer's gruesome secret? And how was his beautiful daughter involved? Red Moon. Does it make you feel romantic? I don't make the moon to make me feel romantic. No, no. <laughs> First, you've got to catch me.
Blood Beast Terror. Peter Cushing, Robert Fleming, Wanda Phantom, guest star Roy Hudd. What could have caused those injuries, Doctor? They could have been inflicted by some sort of animal. Now, John Gat's been missing for a week. <laughs> what kind of monster lived in this prison? What kind of creature brought terror to a whole community? like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune in to B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. This house is full of sounds. The loudest is your heart pounding in the night. The softest is the sound of terror. In this house, terror waits for you in every room. Where are they? Vampires, voodoo, vixens, and victims. You'll find them all in the house that dripped blood, 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 blood. Start this recording with our guest this week on Monster Kid Radio. When I tap the microphone three times, <laughs> welcome to the show, Larry <laughs> Underwood, Doctor Gang Green. How's it going, man? Great, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, hey, you know this is going to be going out at the beginning of 2016 ish. So I hope the year is going well for you so far. So far, so good, man. How about you? Uh, so far, so good. Yeah, we're we're back on track with MKR. Over 250 episodes now. Well. <laughs> Pretty amazing. You know, it doesn't feel like it. It went fast. I know. It went incredibly fast. And uh, I, I feel no energy falling off here. I feel like I'm just gaining steam. Well, you were doing two episodes a week for a while there, and you stayed on track. So you were killing it, brother. It was a cheat. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I got so many episodes in, is just doing two a week. No, that's... <laughs> how many years have you been doing this now? Podcasting-wise? Well, for Monster MKR. Well, MKR, I think we launched in 2013, didn't we? That's a pretty good run, man. 250 episodes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's been a real should treat, have a man. Three-year anniversary coming up. You know, I should go through and figure out when that is. Yeah, do something special for that. Sure. 
Well, every episode is special, man. Come on. Extra special. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a little while since we've had you on the show. I can't remember how long it's been, but it was certainly last year sometime. How have things been going in the world of Dr. Gang Green? It's been going good. You know, Facebook gives you those little notifications on things that happened like a year ago or mm-hmm. two years ago, whatever. And I got notification a couple of weeks ago that on this day, one year ago, you appeared on Monster Kid Radio. So oh, wow. I know that we did this about a year ago. We may have done it again <laughs> since then. We may, I know we think it did, did a couple of shows last year, but I do know it was right around this time last year that we recorded also. Everything's been going good. Keeping on with the Vince Price series and uh, rocking along. And with that, we're into the 1960s films, which are really, you know, a good period of of uh, movies for him mm-hmm. kind of uh, really at his um, peak more or less i think that's kind of in the prime of his career right now these are what most people know probably most non-monster kids know monster uh, vincent price from is that that era the style of film yeah i think so the the corman stuff and uh, just the tv appearances he did in the 70s and 60s late mm-hmm. 60s early 70s that price i think is the one that most people would think of yeah only so good in that stuff oh yeah We've got the dr goldfoot stuff coming up it's a lot of fun this is vincent price i mean dr goldfoot with plans to possess most of the money in the world Frankie Avalon knows it. Dwayne Hickman finds out about it. Susan Hart is an innocent, innocent tool of the plan. Hello, darling. Jack Mullaney helped make the plan. (laughs) And special guest star Fred Clark just doesn't believe it. You're nuts! All right, follow me. These lush bikini babes are built, uh, I mean made, uh, produced to perform. And they have the knack of doing what they're built to do. She walks. She talks. Come here, tiger. She makes love. Did you miss me, precious? Sex has never been funnier. She isn't human. But she is gorgeous. Mr. Armstrong, you're married to a robot. (laughs) Dr. Goldfoot is a dangerous man, but he does have his lighter moments. All right. Sarai. Dr. Goldfoot, 
love those movies more than I should probably, but I love those movies. And one that really short, doing a really short episode, this, the one for this week is uh, Beach Party. But I love those beach movies. They're just so silly and light and fun. And the fact that they got Price into it, one of the Frankie and Annette beach movies is pretty awesome. The first one, right? Yeah. 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 I dig those movies more than I probably should again. But uh, you know what? I'm not going to call them guilty pleasures. They're just pleasures. I love them. Yeah. You know, no, unabashedly. Yes, I mean, he's got a cool factor, too. I mean, Dick Dale and the Deltones are in that movie. They actually appear in the movie. Dick Dale's awesome, man. Got some cool surf music and, you know, chicks in bikinis and Vincent Price. I mean, what's not to like? And we love our surf music here. We love our – so why not? And we love our bikinis. So, yeah. Well, that's true. I'm I'm wearing one right now. I'm not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we're audio only today. Yeah, there we go. There we go. You know, I know it's – are you wearing pants? That's the question. Well, you know, family-friendly podcast. Um, (laughs) Let's see. By the time this episode goes out, it's early 2016. But in our heart, it's Halloween 24-7 all year round. uh, Halloween 365. And I think the last time we had you on was before your Happy Halloween with Dr. Gingreen short. Okay. So yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to mention that real quick because I did put that on the website when that went out over at monsterkidradio.net. Do you do a short kind of PSA thing? Has it been every year? When we, the show was on regularly, we definitely did a new batch every year. So it was three or four. This was Cameron, my director, Cameron McCaslin's idea back three or four years ago, five okay. years ago, whatever it was that we first did that first batch. But yeah, the station, we would just run them during the commercial breaks of our show. And now that I've stopped doing the show for the WB here, the CW here in Nashville, um, I'm putting my stuff on cable access. So I still run commercial breaks during my show, but they also run them on the station between all the shows. Well, that's great. Our angry PSAs just play all the time over there. So yeah, they're good because, you know, it's using classic movie monsters for things like telling people about littering and dog safety and things like that. So it's fun. They're just all in fun. But the Halloween safety one was something that Cameron, once again, had always wanted to do. He's, he's got two girls. They're getting older now. They're still kids, but the oldest of the two is right about that age where I don't know if we had waited another year if he could have got her to dress up and go trick-or-treating. So it, it was good that we got it shot when we did. It was cool. It turned out pretty good, I think. The reason I wanted to bring these up, not just because, you know, it's been a while since we've had you on the show, but the PSAs, the Go Green with Dr. Gang Green was actually how I first became aware of you because I was doing that zombie podcast and you had a zombie in one of the Go Green with Dr. Gang Green PSAs and it popped up in my Google alerts and we talked about it on my old zombie show and that's how I kind of became aware of who you are and what you do. How about that? So, They've always had a, a kind of a warm, undead, gooey place in my heart. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm always kind of paying attention to that stuff. So I, I think they're important. Yeah, they've uh, we've gotten a lot of traction out of those. They've been really good for us. And like I said, they get a lot of play over on the cable access station. And Marlena Midnight's she runs them during her show. Oh, does she? That's great. Yeah. Blake, her um, everything, production guy, whatever, director, producer, asked me if he could run those during the show, too. And I was like, yeah, of course. So, yeah, they get play all over the place that's fantastic you play in nashville wherever midnight mausoleum is based out of we got you on a monster kid radio you're taking over man creepy castle plays them yeah you know it's good it's fun let's all hear a hall of fame <laughs> horror host or something ah yeah yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was awesome last year getting inducted in the hall of fame that was 
big honor. So, yes, uh, 2015 was a good year for me. Deserve it, brother. Thanks, you man. You deserve all your success and even more. Now we got to have a podcasting hall of fame and, you know, get that started. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many podcasts out there now that, as you know, mm-hmm. see more popping up all the time. Oh, it's great. I love the medium. I love how micro-niched it is, too, because you can find a podcast on just about anything you want. Before we started recording, you were telling me that you recently recorded a guest spot on a on a show. What was the name of the show again? Spring Break Forever. What is your episode <laughs> going to be about? It has nothing to do with Spring Break. It's about the albums of Alice Cooper. See, there you go. Super yeah. niche. Yeah. It's great. And you've got a part two of that coming up. That has not been released as of this recording, but when it does go out, if it comes out before this episode's released, we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so people can check that out. And uh, just keep us posted if you don't mind. You know, we'll make sure people know about it. Oh, yeah. I'll shoot you a link for sure. It's um, love, love Alice Cooper. And we're going through all these albums in chronological order, kind of starting with the, the uh, bands that he did before he became the Alice Cooper group, uh, the Spiders and the Naz and that kind of stuff. And then into his early days with the Alice Cooper group and then into the Sega podcast will be his solo career, starting with Welcome to My Nightmare and going on from there. So some good stuff. And of course, Vincent Price's name will come up, I'm sure, at some point. Oh, I'm sure. Probably right there at Welcome to My Nightmare. It'll come up for sure. Can you ever appear on a podcast and not talk about Vincent Price? You know, it's about like you and Peter Cushing. Although, I will say, (laughs) (laughs) I think you've gotten better because I'm hearing podcasts now where I don't hear the Cushing mentioned anymore. Uh-oh. Well, I got to work on that. You do need to work on that, man. <laughs> <laughs> you think if, you say you think it's gotten better. I don't know. I ugh. That's gotten worse if I'm not mentioning the Cush. That's true. Well, the movie that we're talking about, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but this is a segue. The movie this week on Monster Kid Radio is a Peter Cushing film. That's right. Oh, man. And even though he's not in the film as long as the other players, the man, he carries this film. He's amazing. It is Dr. Terror's House of Horrors from Amicus, which is not the first time we've done an Amicus film here. In fact, we've done The Skull, which I think is Amicus, isn't it? Yep. It's an Amicus film, for sure. Yeah, And, and you and I actually talked about The Skull. so That's right. You know, you're going to become our Amicus go-to guy, it's starting to feel like here. Cause, uh, well, I, it's just all a plot to get you to watch more of these Amicus films, because, uh, you know, you and I had a discussion about amicus a while back i know you were telling me that you had not seen that many of them i'm like man Derek, dude you got to get on these these are so good twist, All these amicus twist my arm man twist my arm That's it. <laughs> but you had seen this one of course oh yeah well i mean come on it's peter cushing it's christopher lee it's an anthology film so it's nice and easy to die in fact it's their first anthology film mm-hmm which is what Amicus is mostly known for. It's not the only thing they did, but man, they did so many of these portmanteau films, these anthology films. Yeah. And it's not the very first one of these kind of movies ever made. No. But it's the first one they did. And it's one of the better ones of the genre. What are some of the other anthology films that they've done? That they have done? Uh, let's see. They did, um, The House That Drip Blood, which was one that I actually got to host. Back on TV when I, it's funny because I told my program director, I knew that that's one that Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee were both in and, and I was looking for films that we could broadcast around their birthday and that would have both of them in it. And I said, man, this would be a great movie. I would love to show this. And sure enough, it popped up on the movies that he had access to nice. shortly after that. It's really weird. He said, Hey man, that movie you mentioned, uh, I've got it. I said, which one is the house of drip blood? Oh yeah, we got to show it. So we showed it on May 27th that year. Torture Garden, they did. Is that an anthology film? That is. Oh, okay. Asylum and Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror. 
which of course, you know, are both based on the EC comics and are both are fantastic films too. I'm not sure. From Beyond the Grave was an Amicus film. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, they did a good string of anthology films. So good stuff, man. And I know that's something that you really, really enjoy the anthology format. Why, why is that? Why, why do you like them? Because it's so much like comic books, you know, and, and of course my background coming from comics and loving horror comics in particular just as a natural fit, you know, but I don't know something about the short film. Maybe it's the host thing with the segments all tied together. Oh, they're okay. And usually also they have a sense of humor about them, which I'm all into films that have a dark sense of humor. Not that don't take themselves too seriously or really the best. That's my favorite. You know, I think the short story format kind of lends itself to having that twist ending, that kind of shock gotcha ending as well. And, mm-hmm. I, and I like getting three or four of those in the same film. Yeah. I mean, I, I like my anthology films as well. I haven't seen nearly as many as you. Like I said, uh, when we first started talking to Amicus years ago, I just don't have that much Amicus in me, which is a shame. I mean, I've got a ton of Hammer, but I need some Amicus to kind of balance that out. Amicus is probably the second most well-known horror studio to come out of the UK. There's Hammer, which is a big dog. And then Amicus came in, and there's a few others as well. Yeah, there's some cool stuff. That From Beyond the Grave's a good one. Torture Garden has Burgess Meredith as the host on that. Oh, that's right. And, of course, uh, Cushing is the one in From Beyond the Grave again. He's the proprietor of, like, a thrift shop kind of thing mm-hmm. with creepy items they tell stories about. And it's good stuff, man. Definitely have to get you going through more of those. Well, one of these days, you and I are going to talk about Dead of Night, which is not Amicus, but it's pretty much just the first anthology film. Mm-hmm. That's a good so one. one. One of these days. I have it on blue, so one of these days we'll watch it. Okay. So I'll put I'll that out there on the air so it's committed. People hold that. Hold <laughs> me to that, okay? Okay. <laughs> you know, the anthology format continues uh, even up to today. I mean, I think some of the more well-known from the 80s would be like Creep Show. But even just recently, this past Halloween, this past Christmas, there's an anthology film. It's still a, a very popular format. Yeah, you had the, uh, I just heard one of your cats. Yes, you uh, did. She, she agrees <laughs> with me. <laughs> your cat's been on the podcast now. Yes, yes. Let's turn the credits. Uh, but yeah, they had that one at Christmas time. And then at uh, there was Tales of Halloween at, back at Halloween times. And that was pretty good, too. So the Christmas one I didn't I didn't see, though. To check that out. The B-Movie cast covered it this past Christmas. So, I mean, it's a very popular format. It's still there. But I think when it comes to all the different anthologies I've seen, Creepshow has a very warm place in my heart. But I think Amicus really knew what they were doing. Yeah. They, they knocked that, it out of the park. That's what really helped them make their fame on that one. But Creepshow, I love. That's top ten movies for me. Oh, yeah. It's it's great. Creepshow's fantastic. If you were to make a list of like your top five, top ten anthology films, I'm sure Creepshow would be on there. Yeah, for sure. As well as a whole bunch of amicus. <laughs> I love that I got to see that one in the theater. The cast is so good. The music's fantastic. I hear that music pop up from time to time in other in other movies, and I always recognize. Well, it's it's good. near iconic. Remember the fake trailers they did for Grindhouse? I know the one that Thanksgiving one that Eli Roth did. He used some of the music from Creepshow in the background of that. Like, really? There, you go. there it is. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Very cool. House of 
horrors the screen has never before dared to depict. The terrifying horror of man killing vine with a human brain that creeps and kills. The terrifying horror of the dead entombed for 200 years that creeps its way back to terrorize the living. The terrifying horror of a dreaded man called Dr. Terror who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. All right, so the movie we're talking about now, let's go back to Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. This is one that you've seen repeatedly. I've seen it before. Wow. This is a good, good film. It really is. It holds up. It's very well put together. It holds together great. Mm-hmm. It does. And I mean, the cast is fantastic, but I think one of the reasons why it's so solid, it's got to be the director. Right, right. Freddie Francis is the guy's name who had did a ton of work with Amicus and other studios, too. But, but yeah, he was a top, just solid uh, director, and, and I love his work. I love this film in particular. It's one of my favorites of his. Torture Garden is one of his, The Skull. So we've covered him twice now. And he's made an appearance on 1951 Down Place quite a bit because he did a lot of work for Hammer. He did Tales from the Crypt, the movie version of Tales from the Crypt, too, which is, again, one of the best of the anthology films. There you go. A little bit outside the Monster Kid radio scope since it's early 70s, but... Ah, my show, I'll do what I want. <laughs> I can talk about it at some point. I actually do want to talk about Tales from the Crypt, the, the 72 film at some point, because it's got such a great Peter Cushing makeup. I mean, just listen to this. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, The Skull, Torture Garden, Tales from the Crypt, The Creeping Flesh, Tales That Witness Madness, The Ghoul. You know, uh, good stuff, man. I mean, in the Hammer area, you know, the evil of Frankenstein, Dracula's risen from the grave. I mean, this guy, Paranoiac, which is a fantastic Hammer film with Oliver Reed. This guy, you know, you put his name on a movie, you know you're going to get something special. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It shows in this film quite a bit. I'm a big fan of how he strings everything together. And while there are five individual stories here, they... They have their own distinct flavor, but you can still tell that they're linked. Yeah. The way they're kind of shot and lit and put together. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the variety of um, subject matter and all the stories in this one. Oh, yeah. Cushing's great. I love his look in this with the big bushy eyebrows and the beard. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, Doing his little German accent. (laughs) And for a guy who couldn't keep his hands still whenever he's on camera, giving him a deck of cards was genius. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Hot props Cushing with those cards. I want a set of those cards. Those were fantastic. The tarot cards. Yeah, the the tarot. As uh, Lee. Lee's great in this in particular. Um, Oh, man. He really does the kind of that, that haughty, you know, arrogant thing and angry. Looks angry all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't buy Cushing's act one bit until he's forced to. You know, there's usually in these anthology stories, you can kind of go one of two ways. You've got the guy who just kind of stumbles into whatever horror he thinks going to happen to him. And then there's a guy who clearly gets what he deserves. And that's what Christopher Lee is. Totally, <laughs> totally gets what he deserves. Yeah, his segment is uh, really just anti-critics, which, uh, <laughs> which is something that we can all all love. Yeah, and his performance, I mean, he's so... He's opposite Michael Goh, also. Who, oh, who God, is Michael so Goh is amazing. The, the two of oh, them, they're, they're great. back and forth in this is really good, because the little background on the story in particular, um, Goh is a uh, painter, and uh, uh, Lee's an arrogant 
critic who just has something out for him in particular and comes to all of his art shows and and just constantly derides his work and puts him down. And so they play a prank on him where they bring out, they say, well, since you're here, I wonder if you mind taking a look. You're the master, right? You're the, the expert. I wonder if you take a look at a, we've got, just got a piece of art in from a brand new artist who, um, has never been, his work never been displayed for. I wonder if you look at it. And he says, yeah, sure. So they bring it to him. He says, this is a little, a little unorthodox, but yeah, I'll do it. And, he looks at it and he goes, oh, well, now this is a different story. You know, this guy, look at the, the line work, the usage of color, the sweeping lines. This is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> and, and so he's, they said, well, you know, the, the artist is here. He, I would love to meet this guy. And they said, well, he's here. And they bring out a monkey. <laughs> so it totally yeah. embarrasses Lee. And he just storms out. Yeah, he storms out. We'll go continue. Con- he's not going to let it go. And he continues showing up wherever Lee is doing it, a public appearance and, and just shaming him to the point where it, it just drives Lee crazy. And he winds up running over go with his car and <laughs> <laughs> runs over his hand and crushes it so that he's no longer able to paint. But that's not the end of the hand. No, that's... The hand comes, uh, <laughs> yeah. Go winds up since he's, he's so devastated. He winds up shooting and killing himself committing suicide and then his hand comes back from beyond the grave this crawling animatronic hand that, that follows lee around and uh it's a good story you know it's kind of that classic hand thing and you know i, I, I go ahead go ahead i was gonna say i'm sorry i'm a little distracted you mentioned my cat earlier she was trying to get my attention she's now holding up some paper doll monkeys i don't understand <laughs> what she's trying to do. <laughs> there you go if you've seen the film you know what i'm talking about no, I, I do like this, and I feel like Michael Goff. See, I see Michael Goff in all these these serious films, right? Right. You see him in Dracula. You see him in the Batman films. You see him in all of these these serious films. Sometimes he's the villain, like Horrors in the Black Museum. He looks like he's having so much fun in this. He's smiling. He's a prankster. I love his performance in this. Yeah, yeah. And I was reading that that was the sort of remade by um, Oliver Stone. In the eighties with once again, the movie oh, called the hand wow. with Michael Caine. It's sort of a remake of this story. So whether that's, I've never seen that film, but I've seen the VHS cover repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but yeah, it's about a guy who loses his hand in a, in a car accident. Interesting that it was revisited years later. Well, it just goes to show how influential these types of stories and movies are. Right. Right. Absolutely. The Christopher Lee segment. You know, he's great in the story itself, but in the wraparound bits when he's in the train car with everybody, he's got this wonderfully, I am smelling something terrible look on his face. Yeah, it was great. It is good. I mean, he, if people haven't seen this, so the, the setup is five guys coming on a, a train. They're taking a train ride. So they all are sharing the same train car and a six guy comes in who is Dr. Shrek and it's Peter Cushing, this older gentleman wearing a hat, black coat. And he asked them, you know, can I share your car with you? And they say, no, sure, there's, there's room here. And um, he falls asleep, drops his bag, and a, a, a deck of tarot cards fall out of the bag. Uh, I'm sorry, they're tarot cards. Tarot sorry. cards. <laughs> a deck of tarot cards fall from his bag. And they're like, oh, that's some weird-looking cards there, man. And How do you play poker with these? Yeah. So he proceeds to shuffle the deck and tells each person, tap the cards three times. And I'll lay out four cards that tell your story. And the fifth card will show how you can avoid this future if it's avoidable. And the cards, I call them my house of horrors because every person has two 
possible futures, a natural and a supernatural. And this card foretells the supernatural future for each person. One by one, they all, even Christopher Lee, eventually do have their futures told by Dr. Shrek. So that's your setup. And then at the end, there's a payoff with a twist also. And of course, you got to have that in these anthology films. Now, we've talked a lot about the Christopher Lee segment. I want to say one more thing about the Christopher Lee segment before we talk about the others. And that's, I thought it was an interesting choice that his story didn't end it. It felt like the setup was, okay, well, the disbeliever, he's the last one. No, he's not the last one to have his future told. That's true. Which I thought was unexpected. So, you know, even in the wraparound bits, there are little twists and little things here that kind of come out of the blue. Yeah. yeah, And I like that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So great cast in this one. Uh, Donald Sutherland's in it. Who, when I first saw this film, I was shocked to see him in here. Yeah. This was years ago before I knew he did some work over in the UK. This is 65 is when this was made. Yeah. Donald Sutherland's in a, a hammer or a hammer, or excuse me, a UK horror film. Yep. Pretty cool. He did a hammer film too at one point, but wow. Yeah. So, uh, the titles of, of these are really generic, just simple titles. Yeah. Uh, Werewolf is the first story. Creeping Vine is the second. Voodoo is the third. Disembodied Hand, a Vampire, and then that, that's it, and then the wraparound. And they don't actually show the titles in the movie itself. Do they turn up in the end credits? Mm, yeah, I, th- I believe they do. I yeah. think that's where they are. Yeah. So, yeah, when you're actually watching the movie, it's not like it goes to black and then here's a title card and all that. But when you hear these titles and you watch the shorts, you know where they go. The Disembodied Hand, for example, we know is the Christopher Lee piece. Yeah. Because there's a disembodied hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, the first segment is a, a werewolf segment, which is a slightly different than, well, a little, little more off the beaten path werewolf, which I found interesting because, I mean, it's the 60s, and kind of the werewolf mythos has been established at this point. Yet they still tweak it a little bit. They still change things a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it is a little bit different. A guy returns to the home that his family grew up in, which he had wound up having to sell for monetary reasons later. He's an architect, and he's been called in to make some changes to the house. The own, the new owner wants to knock down some walls and do some different things, and is called in an architect, and she specifically asked for him. But it turns out there's a reason why she asked for him, and it has to do with her family wanting revenge on his family. Of course, a werewolf involved. I loved the name, uh, the family name oh, yeah. of the werewolf. Yeah. Valdemar. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's a great name. It, it, when you say Valdemar, I think you immediately think horror movie. Mm-hmm. It, you have to. And it makes me think of Paul Nashy as well for some reason. It did me too. Yeah. And, of course, Nashy played a werewolf more than Lon Chaney did. So, And, and was that his name in some of them? Was he Valdemar? I don't. It was Valdemar, I thought, okay. which is pretty darn pretty close. close. Yeah. I need to see more Paul Nashie. Don't tell Rod Barnett I said that, but I really need to see more Paul Nashie. He has done of it. And, and by proxy, I, I do too. So right on. Rod being a, a fellow Nashvilleian and, yeah. and friend of mine. Yeah. So I ran into him and your name came up actually um, just a week or so ago at, at a comic book store here in town. So I hope in a good way. Yeah, of course. Okay, good. <laughs> Can't stand that guy. That Derek guy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I keep talking about having him on the show, and it, I just never made it happen. So, you know. Yeah. Well, there you go. Now's your chance. Talk some uh, Nashy with him. We'll, we'll make it happen. Yeah. So that's the werewolf segment uh, that starred Neil McCollum. Alan Freeman is in the second piece, the Creeping Vine segment. Oh, I love this. The story, although it really kind of just get, doesn't really go anywhere. It just sort of ends. It's a great setup. It is. And I love that it's so different from the others. You know, there's a weird creeping vine that has grown on this house that's alive. And it sort of 
has the people trapped in there and is ready to attack them. And then the story just sort of ends. All these stories are kind of horror-like. This one feels a little more sci-fi-like to me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is just a good setup and then the end. Yeah, then it just sort of ends. They could have done, I don't know where they were planning on going, if they wanted to do something. But anyway, that's of the stories, a little disappointing only for that reason. But but I do like the setup a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The third segment, even though I love Lee, is actually my favorite of the piece. Yeah. Yeah. The music in it is so good. Oh, it's great. And... (laughs) You throw voodoo in a, a monster movie, and I'm there. Yeah. I love me a good voodoo, faux do monster movie. And this one starring Roy Castle as a jazz musician doing some things he shouldn't do when it comes to the music he hears at a voodoo ceremony. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to steal the music and take it back to America. So he, he like, sneaks into a secret ceremony and starts writing down notes of music so he could take it home and steal the music of the voodoo god, Dambala. Uh, not, a, not a wise move there, buddy. No, that's no. not going to go well. No. No, if you're told not to do something in a voodoo ceremony, you do not do it. <laughs> I love the scene later where he's running in fear, and he, he winds up on the street corner in front of a poster for Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. Yes. It's pretty cool. That was great Yeah, to see that turn up. And the music, in like you mentioned earlier, the music's great. Yeah. Absolutely love that. I love the performance. I loved him. Excuse me. I love the lead in this piece, Roy Castle. Loved him in that, and I love seeing him and Peter Cushing interact with each other because they did the one of the Doctor Who films together too. Yeah, yeah. And to see them together again was just kind of nice. You know, I like to see those two guys together, and he's got this kind of jovial, just fun attitude. He's a jazz musician, you know. He's kind of carefree. Yeah, and he kind of bumbles around, stumbles a little bit here and there. He brings some neat things to his performance. There's a note on Wikipedia yeah. that says that this story was probably based on the short story Papa Benjamin by Cornell Woolrich, and it was also adapted, that story, by both the TV series Thriller and the radio series Suspense. Well, I need to see that episode of Thriller. Absolutely. And listen to that episode of Suspense. It doesn't say which episode of Thriller it is, but I'm sure, just look up Cornell Woolrich on IMDb. I'm sure we could figure it out pretty quick, I think. Yeah, I'm looking here right now. It was episode number 26, maybe of the, even of the uh, first season. Cool. So, yeah, I do need to check that out. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, like I said, the voodoo stories. And even though I don't do a lot of the modern zombie stuff anymore, you throw voodoo into a zombie story and I'm there. Yeah. There was a movie in the early 90s whose American title is Black Demons, and it has something very similar where a guy stumbles across some a voodoo thing happening, a ceremony happening, and he records it on cassette, brings it back to the States, plays it, and then, well, bad voodoo zombie stuff happens. Awesome. I love that. I love yeah. that that aesthetic, that style of storytelling. You know, Weird Woman with Lon Chaney is one of my favorite Lon Chaney films because it's got the voodoo element. Good stuff. Yeah, good stuff, man. For and sure. again, in Dr. Terror's House of Forest, the stories are all so different and unique. Mm-hmm. You they go are. from werewolf to this Triffid-like plant to voodoo. And then the disembodied hand that we talked about. And speaking of Triffids, the same director directed Day of the Triffids. Oh, well, there you go. So there's your, your crossover there. There you go. Yeah. So then after Disembodied Hand, the next one is called Vampire, which is the last story of the bunch. Very comic booky, very comic book feel to it. The, the, the Donald Sutherland story where he and his wife move to a new town and turns out that she's actually a vampire. There's a town doctor there, Dr. Blake, who starts filling him in on 
hey, man, you know, he, he clues him in and says, hey, I think there's something odd going on here. And then he tells him, I think your wife's a vampire. You know, you probably, you know, you, you've got to do it. you got to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Good, nice twist at the end of that one, too. Oh, it's a great twist. I did think Donald Sutherland accepted it pretty quickly. It's like, oh, well, we only have 12 minutes to tell this story. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's my wife and all, but yeah, you're right. I'll drive the stake through her heart. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good twist at the end. It made me think of a, uh, a Tales from the Crypt episode from the early 90s mm-hmm. from HBO. It felt that kind of style of story twist. Yeah. And I, I did enjoy the way it ended. And yeah, it's a low budget production, but they still handled having a vampire bat floating around a little bit relatively well, as well as any Hammer film was doing at the time, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I think, it, I think it works pretty well. And like I said, that's the last story. And then you go back to your wraparound story with the guys riding in the car and they all realize, hey, wait a minute, there's some, the final card. He lays out the four cards. The final card, he, he turns up for each person keeps being the death card. Like, and he doesn't show them that he, he pulls up the card and then he just puts it back down in the deck. He doesn't show them until towards the end. But we as the audience get to see it. Oh, yeah, we see it. And then eventually they do all get to see the card as well because one of them grabs Dr. Terror's or Dr. Shrek's hand to make him show the card. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the wraparound segment is an example of brilliant filmmaking on a low budget. Yeah. Because you got them all in one small, very tight, cramped, claustrophobic location. They're riding a train at night. But you don't need to see anything outside because, again, it's nighttime, so they just flash a few lights for once in a while by the windows to indicate there's a movement happening. They've probably got a couple of guys on either side of the the car shaking it to give it some movement as well. Mm -hmm. And then at the very, very end, they finally do get out of the train car, and it's clearly a set, but it's still kind of weird feeling because of what has happened to these characters. Francis did a great job of making that spooky. Yeah, absolutely. Very effective. and. I mean, he would go on to become an award-winning cinematographer, so of course he knew how to work the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one nails it. Great cast, good stories, and and solid filmmaking. Definitely recommend any anybody oh, yeah. out there that hasn't seen this one. It's streaming for free on Amazon Prime right now. That's the first time you watched for this episode. Right. How did that look? It was a little kind of washed out. And if I remember right, it was cropped because I remember saying to my son, I need to see a version of this crop. So I got the Blu-ray since then and watched that also and uh, the American release Blu-ray, uh, which I think is a different one from the one you watched, right? Let's see. What you have is the version from Olive Films, which is a pretty bare-bones release, but from what I understand, it is uh, a much better restoration. It looks really good. I, I just love seeing the widescreen version so you don't have anything cropped. Yeah, especially with some of the uh, the voodoo sequence, having a nice and wide screen when he's running down the alley and you see him pass that poster. It's nice and big and wide. You can't miss anything. It looks great. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you always hate to watch the cropped movies. I watched one of my Price movies the other day called Rage of the Buccaneers with Ricardo Montalban and Vincent Price are both pirates. <laughs> it was filmed in Italy. It's an Italian movie. It was cropped so badly, so severely that people were completely off screen, were being addressed and holding conversations. They were completely oh, off screen. Pretty hilarious. But this movie wasn't cropped that poorly. But you knew there was stuff you were missing, you know. Sure. So. Now, the version I have is the Steelbook release. It came out from Odeon Entertainment over in the UK. The restoration, I've seen screenshot comparisons. In fact, you sent me some. There's a website where you can go and look at these. I believe your copy looks better. Well, some scenes, yes, but then other scenes, no. Other scenes, I thought that your version looked better. I think, you know, it's kind of depend on the lighting. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I think depending on which sequence you're watching as well, like the plant sequence, it's bright and vibrant. 
You know, it doesn't take place at night. It's not spooky, you know, the way the other ones are. Yeah. Uh, the version that I have does have a making of documentary that I haven't made my way all the way through yet. And there is a commentary track, but I believe that the commentary track appears on other releases as well, like the German release on DVD, which I also have. I haven't watched it in forever, but the German release has so much packed into it, but makes me wish I could speak German. Yeah. Because there is a, a pretty cool uh, commentary track on there, from what I understand, just in German. And I would love to be able to understand what the heck they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But that's cool that you got so many different versions of it. Do you have the version that I have? I do not. You don't have that one. I'm sure you'll no. get it at some point, though. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll put it on the Amazon wish list, <laughs> which is like 10 pages deep right now. <laughs> they figured out, these studios, that they can get us fans to buy multiple versions of the same thing. I mean, Universal's the worst about this. You know, they just keep putting those same films out over and over. I don't think sure. I'm going to buy them again. But every time I say that, a new format comes out. It's like, oh, well, I guess i got to have them on blue now. So, Well, I mean, if you're a fan of, like, you know, Bruce Campbell's got a, a pretty big resurgence happening right now. How many times had Army of Darkness come out on DVD? Oh, yeah, no kidding. In different versions? Yeah. Oh, man. I only bought one. <laughs> yeah. But this one, I could see myself getting the Olive Films version just so I could have the clearer picture. But then I go over to the, the Odeon for the commentary track and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I could do that. I would do that. You know, because I have so much space in my DVD collection and Blu-ray collection right now. <laughs> right. Plenty of room on my movie shelves, right? Sure. Oh, boy. <laughs> Time for a new show. Yeah. You know, these anthology films, they go along pretty quickly. This movie runs, what, about an hour and a half, an hour 40? But it, it moves pretty quickly. The pace is pretty tight for a movie that's got five different stories plus a wraparound. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem to take that much time. Yeah, it says 98 minutes. So, yeah, hour and a half. So, yeah. It didn't feel like an hour and a half to me. No, it, it does. It is fast-paced. That many stories, it moves along. And earlier you said that the anthology film, you know, maybe it's a horror host thing that makes you like the anthology films more. You've gone back and you've done episodes with anthology TV shows. There was a couple of, did, did you do The Veil? Did you? Yeah, yeah, and One Step Beyond. That's the other one, yeah. yeah. Where I just hosted, I just pulled their host out and hosted it myself. Uh, right. Yeah, I love all that. The TV anthology series, Tales from the Crypt, The Veil, mm-hmm. Boris Karloff's Thriller. We were talking about Thriller, and before we started recording, we were talking about Hitchcock's. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock Hour. I've been going back and watching a lot of those lately. You know, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, all of that stuff is is my favorite. I think even more than movies, I'm a big movie fan, obviously, but I think even more than that, television anthology horror stuff is absolutely my very favorite genre of all. No, it's good stuff. And the writer of this, who is one of the founders of Amicus, Milton Sabotsky, mm-hmm. he wrote a couple of those episodes, uh, the Lights Out TV series from the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. He did a couple of those episodes. And that's actually something that's brought up in the documentary that I watched part of, uh, is that Sabotsky's background being from that, there's a good chance that some of these stories that turned up in Dr. Terror's House of Horror were things that he had originally written for a television program that just never got developed or produced. And he was able to bring it out once he got Amicus up and running. He was one of the co-founders of Amicus with, what was the other guy's name? Do you know off the top of your head? Max Rosenberg. That's right. <laughs> that, I say that's right like I know. I, I didn't <laughs> no, yeah, I couldn't sure remember. It sounds right when you hear it. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. That guy. Yeah. And I love that the studio that is pretty much the number two classic horror studio from England. It was started by a couple of Americans. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. Who actually, and I think I talked about this on Down Place when we did uh, the Frankenstein episode, they actually kind of sort of had a hand in prompting Hammer to do a Frankenstein film. Okay. Because Sabotsky and, had had a script for Frankenstein and brought it to Hammer. And they're like, oh, well, 
Yeah, maybe not, but then Frankenstein was public domain, so they went and just did their own anyway. So there's a good chance that they kind of sort of had something to do with getting Hammer up and running as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a roundabout way. Awesome. The anthology format has infected you because you've got an upcoming anthology book coming. That's right. I sure do. Tell us about it, man. It's called Dr. Gangrene's Tales from Parts Unknown. A few years ago, back in, it was actually back in 20, um, 2013, mm-hmm. I started a new project. I was calling at the time 13 for 13. And um, the year before that, just uh, to kind of go back a little bit, I, you know, my wife and I got divorced and I ended my show. And it was just a, a, my, my TV show at the time mm-hmm. stopped um, being on television. A number of things happened all at once. And I was just, you know, kind of trying to find some new creative outlets and deciding exactly where I wanted to go. And I had always kind of been into writing. I had written some short stories and things in the past. So I just kind of, for that year, set a project for myself, a goal. I'm going to do a short story a month and two in October. And since it was 2013, call it 13 for 13. So I did. Got all the stories written, submitted a few different places, and had a few published in different anthologies and magazines and things. Last year, got back into video more and and finally got all the rights back to all the stories, started thinking about putting them into a collection together. Here in 2016, I finally just said, you know what, now's the time. I'm going to do it. So here we are three years later. I've put them all together in one book, Mm -hmm. Dr. Gangrene's Tales from Parts Unknown. I wrote little introductions from Dr. Gangrene for each story. So it's kind of a EC comic style introduction for each story. I love it. Yeah, so uh, it kind of ties it all together, both with the horror host stuff and the writing. The Dr. Gangrene intros come with an illustration from Rondo Award-winning artist William C. Is it Cope? The Cope, yeah. Cope. yeah. Okay. And the cover is by Dennis Vincent, who's another Rondo Award Hall of Famer. So you've got three Rondo Award winners in this anthology because you've got a few yourself. <laughs> That's right. So That's yeah, absolutely right. This is packed full of Rondo goodness. This is... 14 short stories. They all kind of vary. They're, some of them are like weird westerns. Some of them are straight up horror stories. There's a time travel story. There's a nice collection of different tales in here. Yeah, I didn't want to limit myself to genre. I just sort of just left it open to whatever I felt like writing each month. So it kind of became what it was, you know, um, just a little bit of, little bit of this, a little bit of that. Sci-fi, horror, kind of a mishmash. And it is out now. Yes, launching it through Amazon. It, there's a Kindle version and a print version. And then the next week, starting March 1st, I'm going to make it free for three days. So oh, people, wow. everybody can just just wait a week and you can download it for free. That's the cool thing about it. They give you five days. If you sign up for KDP Select, uh, they give you five days free every 90 days that you can put your book out there for free. So I'm going to make it free for the first three days and then wait a month and then make it free for a couple more days for people that missed the first wave of free days. So, so yeah, everybody can download it there. And if you do, just leave me, leave me some feedback if you get a chance. Um, if you like it, if you don't, whatever, just leave a little, some review and let people know what you think. I mean, the thing is, it's just when we ask for reviews, whether you're an author on Amazon or a podcaster, we're, we're talking about honest reviews here. So, you know, we're just asking for some honest feedback. I've read the stories in Tales from Parts Unknown. Over the years, uh, I've been kind of, I guess, a beta reader, uh, editor, helper, I don't know, cheerleader. For yeah, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, for, for these short <laughs> looks stories. really good in a costume too, man. Uh, well, I, I thought we weren't going to talk about that on the show. <laughs> I thought that was just between you and me, man. <laughs> Sorry, blew your cover. <laughs> now, I've read these stories over the years as they've been published, as you've been working on them. 
I've enjoyed them. And listeners, I'm not just saying that because Larry's on the show right now and he's one of my dear friends. I do recommend this book as well. I can pretty much guarantee it's going to be on the 2016 holiday gift guide. Well, I appreciate that, man. Derek is a writer himself, and we've sort of kind of been on this journey together, just sort of encouraging one another and sharing stories back and forth and proofing each other's works. And it's been great, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, man. You're, you're inspiring me. You're pushing me. You got there first, so, man. You got this book coming out. It's great. It's funny. I was at a Christmas party this year, the Nashville Writers Meetup Group Christmas party. While we're there, they said, I tell you what, they said, what we're going to do this year, we're going to pass around a book and everybody has to write down your goals for 2016. And once it's in print, you got to do it. And I said, okay, fine. So I wrote down, published anthology of short stories, finished the fantastic films of Vincent Price series. So that's my two goals for 2016. Got the book done. I don't know if I've got enough weeks in the year to get through the fantastic films or not. I'm in mid-60s now, but we'll see. I'm going to try. That's my two goals for this year. I'm going to try to get them both done. And if you don't, you have to sing a karaoke song at the party next year. So You know, there's nothing saying that you can't <laughs> produce all the episodes by the end of the year. Just not release them until you get to you know your next bit That's of schedule. True. I guess if I got them all written, shot, and you know in the can, then that, that would count, right? Yeah, good enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I got to get busy, man. Like I said, I'm up to 1964 right now. So I got a couple of decades to go. But his <laughs> production really, you know, as he got older, it really dropped off. Once you get past the 70s, you know, there's just not much. Right. I'm on the downhill side now. It's been a great YouTube series. Rondo Award nominated. Thank you, sir. A lot. It's been a lot of fun. I tell you, it's what's cool is going through these things and seeing all the ones that I haven't seen before. I mean, it's nice to go back and rewatch the ones that that you have seen. Like I've got to rewatch this week, The Last Man on Earth, which hey, I'm always up for rewatching that movie. It's a great film. That's one I want to see at a drive-in. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you know, last year I got to host a movie at a drive-in, and he let me pick the movie. I might just have to make that one of my movies uh, next year because he said we're going to do it again. There Although you go. I'm really angling towards Creep Show because it's like top ten all time favorite. Well, it's an so. anthology film, so yeah, you know, you get your anthology fix. I, I'm eager for you to get to 1987's From a Whisper to a Scream and your Vincent Price series because it's an anthology film and it's Vincent Price. And it was shot in Tennessee. That's right, man. The director lives down in Chattanooga, so maybe I can get interview lined up with him. Oh, that'd be great with Jeff Burr. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it starts, you know, Cameron Mitchell's in that. And I love me some Cameron Mitchell. Dude, I love Cameron Mitchell, too. That guy always delivers. He does. Even though he's in some terrible movies, but he is always good. He's just watchable. He's charismatic. You want to hang out with him. Yeah. Don't necessarily want to go out drinking with him because I suspect you'd lose. But um, <laughs> you definitely he's a good actor. Yeah, I like Cameron Mitchell, man. Pretty cool. Well, you know, again, best of luck on everything. You deserve all the success and more. I'm a big fan of your work, and I'm not just saying that because I'm also a really good friend. Uh, you know, if we weren't friends, it wouldn't matter. I'd still read yourself well, and I appreciate be watching it. your You're show. one of the people whose opinion I definitely value, which is why you're one of my beta readers and editors. So, yeah. And again, congratulations on 250 episodes of Monster Kid Radio. That that is impressive, man. Oh, man. Again, it still doesn't it doesn't feel like it. I love I it. I mean, when you start getting a, that number behind you, that's impressive, and that's why you Rondo Award winning Monster Kid oh, Radio. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you want to get your hands on Doctor Gang Green's Tales from Parts Unknown right now. You can. On Amazon, if you are a Kindle user, if you have the Kindle app on your iPhone or your iPad, you can check it out there. It's actually part of the Kindle Unlimited program, where if you subscribe to Kindle Unlimited, you don't have to pay for it. 
You just check it out. It's like a virtual library. Or you can buy it for your Kindle or Kindle app, or buy the actual paperback for $6.99. 14 stories. I've read all of them now. It's good stuff. Larry's one of us. And it's just awesome to see Monster Kids still creating content in the vein of the classic monster movies, or in this case, the classic Amicus films. Larry and I are going to talk more about Amicus down the line. I love talking about the skull with him back in the day. I love talking about this film with him here on the show. I hope you guys and gals dug the episode and dug the conversation because I know I dug the movie. I will take you to a place where my friends foregather. There you will find stories of such blood-curdling terror it will make your toes curl and your hair reach up towards the sky. He likes to take you by surprise. He likes to leave a very special calling card. It was the best blood I have ever tasted. He's giving you a very special invitation. Three stories to shock you. Chill you. Thrill you. And make you laugh. There's a face at my window as the darkness closes in. Everybody knows about garlic and steaks through the heart. Yes, we all have our cross to bear. I'm just a sucker. One of his kind now. You have to be staked by your own men. You are all the same. Don't want to know your name. Just come back again and play the stripper. So let me show again. I'll show you everything. Songs by B.A. Robertson. Don't you look down on me. Night. With the strange twist. The pretty things. The viewers. Tell me I'm not going to let you go until you do. Remember, he likes to take you by surprise. You've been invited to the Monster Club. Come at your peril. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer? Wasn't that an 80s cop show on ABC with David Raish? This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Wait, that was Sledgehammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion.
It's a new height in fright. Doctor, what have animals to do with this? The man's jugular vein was bitten clean through. evil as the skull. I found in the morning that the skull had been removed. But who removed it? Those who use its power. Invisible beings. Spirits from a strange, evil world. The moving skull spreads its shrieking terror everywhere. its hypnotic trance over all who fall under its hideous shadow. Turning a lover into a killer at its evil command. Never before such blood-curdling horror as the skull. of news that I did not mention at the top of the show. The Rondo Award ballot has been announced. This is the 14th annual Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award, honoring the best in classic horror research, creativity, and film preservation. Head over to rondoaward.com, review the ballot, and it's real easy to vote. All you do is send an email to the Rondo Hatton folks. The email address is t-a-r-a-c-o at aol. Dot com. The deadline is April 10th. That's a Sunday night. I think next week on Monster Kid Radio, I'm going to take a real hard look at the ballot. But for now, I just want to say thank you for those of you who helped to put Monster Kid Radio on the ballot this year for the category of Best Multimedia Horror Site. I'm on the ballot with a number of incredibly cool podcasts and multimedia sites, including several friends of the show. There are a number of Monster Kid radio friends and Monster Kids on the ballot. I think it's great because, well, you're judged by the company you keep, right? And if I'm getting to hang out with all of these awesome Rondo nominees, I think I'm doing all right, right? That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for being part of the show. Yeah, I know the B-Movie cast covered this movie last week. You know what? It's a great movie. I would be happy to hear about Dr. Terror's House of Horrors on three or four other podcasts right now because it's just so fun. It's so good. The music's great. The pe- Well, you heard me and Larry gushing about it already. Head over to drgangreen.com to learn everything you need to know about Larry Underwood and his adventures as Dr. Gang Green. Earlier this year, he committed to put out 
even more YouTube videos. Not just the Fantastic Films of Vincent Price series, which is incredible, but just lots of Dr. Gain Green content. He's dipping into his archives and sharing with people material that hasn't been seen in quite some time. It's rare. It's fun. It's quality. It's Gain Green. Go check it out. DrGainGreen.com, of course, is where you're going to find that. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find a link to that page, as well as everything else you need to know about this podcast. Between episodes from here, you can find a link to our Facebook group. You can find our contact information. Our email address is MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. It's 503-479-5MKR, as in Monster Kid Radio. Get it? Over on the page, if you look for the 2014 Rondo Award that Monster Kid Radio won last year, right beneath that, you'll see the Monster Kid Radio Gazette sign-up form. The Monster Kid Radio Gazette is coming out next week. Issue number one. This is an e-newsletter where you're going to get all kinds of bonus material having to do with Monster Kid Radio. Remember when we announced the Rally Awards a couple of weeks ago? Well, I'm going to put the percentages, the breakdown, not just who won, but who got how many votes in each category in the e-newsletter, in the Gazette. So go sign up for that. It's a monthly newsletter, and you're only going to get an email from us once a month. That's it. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, you know, I've got three people that I consider my go-to people when it comes to giant monsters. Tony Wendell's one of them. Stephen J. Sullivan's one of them. And then there's a guy who hasn't been on the show in over a year, but he's not a stranger to podcasting. He's just been... In hibernation, I guess you could say. I'm talking about Andy Campbell, the man behind Kaiju 101, which is a podcast that is coming back. He's going to tell us all about that next week here on Monster Kid Radio when he and I sit down to talk about a Godzilla film that's got one of my favorite film scores, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Godzilla, Ebira, and Mothra in one of the most explosive action pictures ever to hit the screen. From the depths of the ocean comes the most terrifying horror of the deep. From within the mountain caves comes the dreaded monster Godzilla. titanic battle ever screened when the monster of the deep challenges the mighty Godzilla. That's right. That's coming next week here on the show. Future episodes. Well, you know, I mentioned Tony. He and I are going to be talking about Gorgo in the near future. I'm in talks right now with author Justin McCumber about coming on to talk about the original Dracula. And remember last week when I told you I was going to go to Wizard World Portland? Well, I did. I brought my recorder, but there just wasn't really an opportunity to record at the show. So I did the next best thing. I took a number of business cards. I handed my own Monster Kid Radio card out to a number of folks. And I think we're going to have some brand new voices on some future episodes of Monster Kid Radio if everything pans out. The con itself, well, I'm not going to do a full review because, like I said, I couldn't record there. But it was very corporate. It didn't have a lot of comics, but, and I kid you not, and man, I wish I would have gotten a picture. I wasn't even thinking there was a guy wearing a master's robe from Manos. 
On that note, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Calling Dr. Gang Green. It's from the band The Gino Royd Experiment. It's on their album, Themes from an Imaginary Spook Show, and it appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Thanks for listening. Talk to everybody next week when we have Andy Campbell here with Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. Yeah,